So the mayor of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Bill Peduto, decided he wanted, he was the 60th mayor of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He decided he wanted to get an idea of how the city really was working and uh, was just elected into office recently. And there was kind of a hard feelings because he was from the other party and basically wanted to get an idea of what the city was, how the city was doing and stuff like that. So he decided to go undercover and he went on the show Undercover Boss. And uh, he had one of those obviously ridiculous, I, I think they have a budget of about $10 for their disguises because they, they're ridiculous. And he had this ridiculous look, looking wig on and glasses. And he basically decided he was going, you know, and what they do on this show basically, if you're not aware of it, is those that are uh, the boss of the company goes and he does some of the lowlier jobs and mingles with the employees and learns kind of what's going right and what's going wrong. What do they think of the company? When, when they're just talking to somebody that's on their level, so to speak. And what do they think of the boss? That's essentially the, the essence of the show. And so he, during one of his jobs, he's cutting wood in, with one of the park workers. And uh, the park worker was a little kind of not very nice about the mayor and his views of the mayor. He wasn't very happy about that. And he finally looks at him and he goes, I know who you are. <laughs> and the mayor looks at him and he goes, what do you, who do you think I am? And he says, you're Bill Petuto. You're the mayor. I know you. I could tell you in that disguise. That's not real hair. And, he, you know, he came clean. He finally uh, came clean. But it was interesting that he, he saw through the disguise and he saw who he was. It's very interesting because we think about where we're going to go. And we're in a series called 24. And we're looking at the 24 hours, uh, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Uh, before the cruci- you know, before the crucifixion, and essentially, so many things happened during these 24 hours. We talked about he, he had the, the communion meal with his disciples, and then in the garden, with, and we talked about that last weekend, uh, where Peter uh, and the re- a couple of the disciples fell asleep while he was in the garden, right? And so this weekend, we want to look at another situation, but it's in the courtyard. It's in the courtyard of of the priest, and so uh, we're going to look at a couple of things. Two things really tonight. Uh, this weekend, uh, we're going to look at the late night, uh, the late night trial of Jesus and then the, the late night denial by Peter. So uh, if you have a Bible or you want to follow along with me, Mark chapter 14. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's are these chair Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And you can just go to page 776. And I'm going to start reading at verse 53 and then jump down to this verse 55 and 61. And you'll see the verses up on the screen. But essentially, uh, I want to read uh, a portion of this passage and then we'll talk about it. So let me start reading. So a little context. So he's in the garden praying. The soldiers come for him. Uh, one gospel account says Peter took a sword out and clipped off the ear of the, the, the chief priest, one of the priest's servants. Uh, and Jesus put it back on healed it back on. We don't, we don't have time to get into that. But, so they brought him now to this courtyard, to the high priest's home, Caiaphas. Then they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. 
And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and, the coming, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at, spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. Now, a few observations. Number one, this is a late night trial. Uh, we said that probably the table took place from somewhere around six-ish to midnight, seven to midnight, and then they went to the garden to pray. And this is after that. This is probably after at least an hour or more in the garden. So it's, it's, it's in the middle of the night. And they have a trial, and it's hidden. It's a hidden trial. Caiaphas as you heard about him in the text, he's the high priest. He's the leader of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is just 70. They were the 70 elders that ruled the religious life of the Jews, of the Hebrews. And if you read, uh, I'll give you a reference there, Numbers chapter 11, verse 16. In the Old Testament, they had elders that were to rule over the people, to be the religious leaders of the people. And so they ruled over the religious affairs of all the people, just like the Romans ruled over the political affairs. Okay, so they're having a trial, but they're having a religious trial. Uh, The Sanhedrin and the high priest were were in charge of the temple. They are in charge of the religious courts. Uh, They were. So, again, this was a religious trial that they're having with Jesus. And it's in the middle of the night. Now, they normally met during the day. They never had these trials at night. In fact, they never had them during the Passover, which this is. Uh, they, they, this, was, this was totally off the books. This was something they were doing behind. They were doing it in the cloak of darkness because they did not want the people. They did not want people to know what they were doing. So they were doing it in secret. The meeting was done in secret. It was to hide, uh, hide from the people. And the reason is Jesus had become a lightning rod. There was a delicate balance between the religious leaders and the Roman government. The Roman government basically at this point was saying, you rule and take care of your people. And you'll see in, a, in next week when we look at uh, the next passage, we'll see that Jesus is brought before a Roman, co- before a Roman court. And, and he says, what do I have to do with this? This is a religious matter. And so the idea is that the, the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas are concerned because P- Jesus is getting a following. He's getting a big following. And they're concerned that if he gets the people behind him, they could have an insurrection. If they have an insurrection and the religious status quo of that day, the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas cannot control it, then the Romans will come in and they will control it and it will not be pretty. So their concern is this leader needs to be taken care of. And that's why they're having this trial for Jesus. Now notice it's not the sinners that brought Jesus and called him to court. They were not the ones that brought him in and questioned him, but it was the most pious and the most religious people of the day. Remember, these scribes and Pharisees and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they would be looked at by the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, as being the heroes. They were the best, and and they were looked upon with great respect. Uh, But yet, here they are, bringing the one that they should have recognized, they should have known. They knew the Scriptures, they knew the predictions. And yet, there's the Messiah standing right in their midst, and what are they doing? But they, they hold a mock trial anyways in the midst of the night. They hid their trial. They found him guilty. 
They spit on him. They blindfolded him. And they beat him. And then they send him over to Pilate, the Roman ruler. And then we're going to talk about that next weekend where he's before Pilate. And Pilate's going, what am I doing here and why are you here? And we'll see that next weekend. But there's a few things that happen in this uh, dialogue between Jesus and Caiaphas. The first thing is, Jesus doesn't say a lot. Have you noticed that? He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't say, you know, you've got it all wrong. You should know. He doesn't go into a dialogue. He just says one or two things, but he says one or two pretty significant things. The first thing he says is when Caiaphas says, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. Now, we lose that. We really lose the significance of what Jesus is saying there. Some of the translations will have I am capitalized, and this this is why they have it capitalized. When you go back to the Old Testament, do you remember Moses at the burning bush? So at the burning bush, God is telling, out of the burning bush, God is telling Moses that he wants Moses to go down to Egypt and to tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. You're going to be my man. You're going to be my spokesperson. And not only my spokesperson, but you're going to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. I'm going to, you're going to be my leader. You're going to do this, right? That's what Moses was told. So Moses says to God in the burning bush, he says, who should I say sent me? Because the people aren't going to believe me. So who, what name should I give? And the, God says to Moses, you tell them, I am sent you. Now, in, 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 in your Bibles, this is translated badly Jehovah. It's probably more likely Yahweh. This is such a holy name that even the Jews today will not pronounce the name Yahweh. They think it's too holy to even pronounce. What he is saying, what Jesus is saying to Caiaphas, when Caiaphas says, are you the Messiah? Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh. This is big time. So you can understand his reaction. Jesus is claiming to be more than the Messiah. He's claiming to be God. Uh, In Hebrew, as I said, the, uh, the word is Yahweh. The second thing that Jesus says is this. He says, you'll see the Son of Man coming with the clouds from heaven. Uh, Jesus was saying, when the Messiah comes, now picture this. He is standing before the Sanhedrin. He is standing before Caiaphas. This is the religious, these are the religious leaders of the day. He's standing before them. And what he says is, you will see the Son of Man coming with clouds of heaven. From the, with, with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is saying this. When the Messiah comes, he will rule. And God the Father will grant him dominion, authority, power over all people. So he's not just saying, I'm a prophet, or I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm just a, a good teacher, or I'm somebody who can do miraculous. He's saying, I am the one sent from God. The third thing he says, that he will be seated in a place of power at God's right hand. And this is just an illustration from Psalm 1, 10, 1 through 4. Now, this passage, in the passage of Psalm 110, the context is this. The passage, Yahweh, in this passage, Yahweh is speaking to the Messiah Jesus, telling him that your enemies, your enemies will become your footstool. Now, get the picture here. Jesus is, they all know this. They know the scripture. And so what Jesus says, he says, first, I am, I am. And then he says, you're going to see me coming in the clouds. 
And then seated at the right hand. And your enemies will become your footstool. What Jesus is saying is, you today have the power. But one day, my feet will be on your neck. So so they understand what he's saying. In one sentence, in these three statements to Caiaphas, Jesus has testified that he's the Messiah sent from God, that that he and the Father will one day rule and reign forever. And see, that's really important to understand because many people today in, in maybe more, have a more liberal view. And they say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a, a, a rabbi. He uh, did many good things. He was a good example. We can learn a lot of lessons from him. We can learn. But, but he's not God. And, he's not, and he never claimed to be God. And he never, he, well, he is here. <laughs> he is here. And that's the point. Jesus, you cannot... There are people who say he's a wonderful teacher, he's a wonder worker, but he's not, uh, he's not the Messiah. He's not the promised Messiah. He's not seated at God's right hand. So you can see why Caiaphas, the high priest, said this is blasphemy. Because he didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So uh, he began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, they beat him with their fists, and they handed him over to the Romans for his civil trial. <clears throat> now I just want to stop here for a minute and just say this. These people were the leaders in religion in that day. Religion never saved anyone. And really, let's be honest, nobody likes religion, really. Isn't religion just a bunch of rules that we're supposed to follow, and if we follow the rules, hopefully things work out for us? Essentially, that's what religion is. Um, religion never sa- saved anyone. Uh, but religion caused those who should have welcomed Jesus and should have known who the Messiah was to miss it. In other words, it's very easy to get caught up in religion and to go through the ritual of religion and miss the point. I probably went 18 18 years of my life in religion. And I talked about God. I prayed to Him. I prayed to Jesus. Went to church. I practiced religion. But I missed the Savior. I missed the Savior. Uh, I was going through the motions. Going through the motions. But I miss the person. It's very easy to do that. Because it's very easy for us to look and say, well, look at those Sanhedrin and look at Caiaphas. They should have known better. But you know what, folks? We do the same thing. Anytime that we get caught up in a religious system and we get caught and we follow the system and we miss the Savior, we've got a problem there. Meanwhile... Here's the point. What religion did is it caused those who were the top of the religious system to not only miss him and and to ultimately crucify him. That's what it led to. They crucified. In fact, you come to Acts. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon is broken down. And he's preaching to the people on the day of Pentecost. And he basically says, the good news, got some good news and bad news for you. The good news is the Messiah has come. Bad news is you crucified him. <laughs> that's, his, that's basically his message. And, and that's what religion does. It makes you miss the Savior. But outside, and this is the second part we want to look at this weekend, is Peter. <laughs> Peter is outside, and he's following Jesus from a distance. Maybe you're one of those Peters where you, you are following Jesus, but you're doing it at a distance. And, and you know, Jesus came... At, at, in fact, John says he came into his own, and his own people did not even see him. But to them, 
who received him, he gave the power to become sons of God. That's First John chapter 1, verse 12. It's interesting. Jesus came to his own creation. He was the, he was the ultimate undercover boss, wasn't he? He came, and, and the people that should have recognized him didn't. They didn't recognize him. In fact, they decided they wanted to crucify him, and they did. Meanwhile, the people that should have stood up for him, the people that, his own disciples, what did they do? They became closet Christians. They, became, they hid. They hid. They, they scattered. So let's look at that. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed that Peter warming himself by the fire. I don't get this point. He is in the courtyard of the high priest. He's warming himself by the fire with the others. It's a cold night. Um, So Peter's not a coward. He's not a coward. This uh, servant girl looks at uh, Peter and she, she, she looks at him closely and said, you are one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But, she, but Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out uh, to, into the uh, entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. They probably picked up on his accent and his mannerisms. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. <laughs> Some translations say that he cursed and swore. Uh, but he's being very adamant in his denial. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. The last words are so sad. And he broke down and wept. Now the good news is, Peter's still hanging around Jesus, right? At a distance. The bad news is, he's denying Jesus over and over and over. In fact, one of the accounts, if you go to Luke, just write this reference down, Luke 22, 6. It says in Luke's account that after Peter denied Jesus the third time, their eyes met across the courtyard. Can you imagine that moment where Jesus caught Peter's eye after the rooster crowed the the third time? When When the rooster crowed and They caught eyes. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What that moment must have been like? Now, Peter wasn't a coward. Again, remember, he was the one that pulled the sword in the garden. Uh, He's the one that's following. The rest of the disciples are long gone. And before we get all high and mighty about Peter's actions, Maybe we should stop and say, <clears throat> we do the same thing. We deny Jesus daily, actively and passively. Now, maybe you're, you're here this weekend and you say, well, I don't think I do. and I don't try to. Maybe now and then, but I don't think I do. Well, let me give you a few examples. Maybe you're one that uh, 
you make up your own version of Jesus. You know, some people see, like I said before, they see Jesus as a good man, he's a great teacher, a philosopher, a rabbi, maybe a prophet sent from God, but he's not the Savior of the world. You'll hear that message all over Christian churches uh, this weekend. These people deny that he needed to die for our sins, that he took our place, that he rose from the grave. They would deny all of that. They would say, that's, you know, that's going a little too far. He, listen, the best we can learn to do from Jesus, he was a good rabbi. He taught us so many good lessons. He's kind of like Gandhi or Muhammad or, or Buddha. Here's what John says in his epistle. This is 1 John chapter 2. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. And when you see that word, that phrase, the Christ, it means the Messiah. Remember what Caiaphas asked Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? That's essentially what he's saying. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is, the, is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father either. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So there's, a, there's an, uh, an acceptance and a denial going on here. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that Jesus wasn't a Savior, wasn't Christ, and still say, I'm, I'm uh, loyal to Christ. You're not loyal to Christ when you make up your own version. Here's what John says in his Gospel. He, Jesus, came to his own people and even they rejected him. But here's the good news. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. I don't know where you are at spiritually this weekend, but I can tell you this. If up to this point in your life you have denied Jesus, you have said He's not a Savior and I don't need a Savior, I can tell you today that if you call upon the Lord today and you ask Him to take away your sins, not only will He take away your sins, but He will receive you into His family and you will become a new creation. He will save your soul. You don't have to go to a certain church and go to a certain person. You can do that today. It can turn on a dime for you. So some people make up their own version of Jesus. They say, well, He didn't have to die on a cross. He, he wasn't a Savior. He wasn't sent from God. He certainly wasn't God. The Bible says exactly the opposite. And these testimonies from John basically say, if you deny that He is God, you are cutting yourself off from salvation. There's no hope. Maybe you're not in that school. Maybe you're in this one. Some people never acknowledge Jesus publicly. You may ask, well, isn't that what Peter's doing here? <clears throat> so maybe we, we do confess that Jesus is Lord in our hearts, but we still deny Him. <coughs> and we're ashamed of Him with others. We're ashamed of Him before others. I think most of us, if we were honest, we would say, there's, there's moments that I can remember in my life where somebody, maybe the conversation turned religious. Maybe it turned towards Jesus and who He was. Maybe the ideas that were thrown out were not very flattering. Maybe they were pretty disgusting or pretty wrong. And somebody said to you something along the lines, what do you think? And you whiffed. I don't know. I don't like talking about religion. We've all been in those points, haven't we? 
you're in a situation where all of a sudden it's not comfortable to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The question is, what do you do? You're warming yourself by the fire. And somebody says, aren't you one of his followers? And you go, no, no. I think we can honestly say that we probably have done that. Here's the problem. Nobody likes to be seen as a moron. Nobody likes to be seen as somebody who doesn't use their brain, who they believe in stupid, harmful, bigoted fairy tales. It could cause us to shrink back because we want to be accepted. We want people to think we're intelligent. And, and some people think there, there's a good, good group of people today, a big group of people today that thinks anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as a Savior and, and uh, there's a spiritual word out there are just plain out, just not very well educated. This is what Jesus says. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Can you cut it any straighter than that? So you know what we're, gonna, we're, we're asking you to do? We, we ask you to pray for people to invite to... A, we're not even asking you to get up before people and preach a sermon. And we're not asking you to go and share your testimony to you know, tell people about your faith in God and... And carry a Bible around with you and preach. We're not asking you to do that. What we are asking you to do is we're asking you to pray for somebody that God has laid on your heart. That you'd invite him to his service. And to take this card and to pray. God, use this card to help a person that maybe you'll use me to invite to a service. They'll come to the service and maybe they'll hear the gospel for the first time. That's what this card is for. And we're going to say to you, when you leave today, if you put a thing up there, and if God laid a person on your heart, two people on your heart, take the card, pray, and give it to the person and invite them. Well, what do they think of me if I do that? That's what we're talking about, right? Isn't that what we're talking about? I mean, we're not asking you to convert them. We're asking you to invite them. That's all we're asking you to do. This is not the heavy lifting here, right? But if you can't even do that, then you wonder about, am I denying Him? Am I ashamed of Him? Am I like doing a Peter here? I'm sure Peter hates that. I'm going to get up to heaven and Peter's going to go, you know, I was with you. I was tracking with you in that one message. But when you said, don't do a Peter, I go, yeah, thanks a lot. Threw me under the bus. Chariot, sorry. <laughs> All right, so some people just say want to take a part of Jesus. He was a good person. Some people come to a place and say, "Well, when the pressure gets on and I have to give an answer, I'm going to I'm going to just I'm going to punt. I'm I can't do it." Number 3, some people broadcast with their mouth, but they betray by their actions. These are the people you wish they wouldn't share. Just don't say anything. Don't tell people that you're a follower of Jesus Christ because your life doesn't show any signs of life. Don't do it. Uh, look at what Titus says. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. 
Do you realize that when your life doesn't match your words, when you start telling people that you love Jesus and you, lo- you live in His forgiveness and you're not very forgiving and you're not very loving, they look at you and, you're, and you say, and it changed my life, and you're not very honest and you're not very nice and you're pretty arrogant. They pretty much look at you and say, you're telling me one thing, but I'm seeing a totally different thing. You ever notice that? You could stand on the rooftops and yell, yell, Jesus is Lord, and live a life that's not even closely consistent with your words. Your words may acknowledge Jesus, but your works deny Him. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The point is this. Our faith in Jesus should always change the way we live. So if look, if it looks like Nothing has changed. Something's not right. Your words and your actions should never contradict one another. And if they do, you just acknowledge it. Right? When you sin, you just say, and you maybe you sin against another person. You say or do something that's wrong. You go to them and say, you know what? I blew it. This is not... This is not the way that I'm supposed to be living. And I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and this isn't honoring to Him, but I want to tell you that I failed and I sinned. And I asked God to forgive me, now I'm asking you to forgive me. That's fine. Because we're, we're all in a process of growing. We're not there yet. That's not the point. But you have to come to a place where you're going to just be honest about what's taking place. If you're trying to to behave as though you've got it all figured out and you never make a mistake and you never sin, just ask somebody next to you whether that's working. Because it's not. It's not working. Let me give you a couple of questions that you could ask yourself that will help you in this process. Are you demonstrating love for others, family, friends, and enemies? Are you doing that? You say, well, family and friends, that's easy. How about enemies? What does Jesus say in this line? John 15, 17, this is my command. This is where Jesus is with his disciples in his last hour. And he says, this is my command. What was his command? That you love one another. It's not an option. But he goes further than that. He says in Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, now we're on a totally different level. Because we think that we can justify if we have people who have done harsh things, angry things towards us, our enemies, that we can say, I hope you get struck dead by God. And what he's saying here is, no, no, no. You have to love your enemies. How you doing? Are you obeying Him in the big and small things of life? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. Right? You know, it's the little kid that during the day, the little boy's out and he's just causing all sorts of havoc. And it's not just he's being a little boy, because sometimes just being a little boy, that happens. It's like there's a little cloud of chaos around boys sometimes, Right? Some of you have boys. I can't speak about girls, and I can't speak about boys. We have five boys. They're all grown up. But there was this cloud of chaos. So when something bad happened, you had to discern, 
did this happen because you're just, this is the cloud of chaos that happens with boys. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't evil. It was just you being a boy doing this, right? Not good, but it, it's, but then there were this rebellious stuff, right? And you go, this was not just you being, this was you being rebellious. And there's a difference here. And, and so for, for, to go through a day and to have all these things going on during the day and having these rebellious things going and showing no signs of repentance or remorse or being sorry for your actions and then you put them in bed and they say, I love you. And you go, you certainly have an odd way of showing it to me. You feel like saying what Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands, right? Because that's how we show love. Let me ask you another one. Are you regularly bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Now, maybe you're here and you say, I don't even know what the fruit of the Spirit is. Well, it's found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let me read it to you. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you want to know something? There are people today within the Christian church that are all about, I want to speak in tongues, I want the gift of healing, I want this, I want that. And you know what? The church that had all those gifts was the church of Corinth. They had all the gifts of the Spirit. And in the middle of the chapters that he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, He says, oh, chapter 13, we read it at weddings. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Right? He talks about love. What is he saying there? You have all the gifts of the Spirit, but none of the fruit. Tell you what, if you choose between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, choose the fruit of the Spirit. Because Paul did. Paul did. Let me give you another one. Are you giving your resources, your, yourself and your resources, sacrificially? Are you giving your time, your talent, your treasure to God? We're asking whether you're denying Him or not. I mean, if He is God of all, if He owns everything, and you're just a, a steward of everything He owns, are you stewarding your time, your talent, and your money, your treasure, for Him? Are you doing that? Because one day He's going to ask you. Okay? Are you spending time with God's Word? Notice uh, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How are you doing? How are you doing in that area? Here's the good news. Even if you deny Him, there's still forgiveness at the cross. Because after the resurrection, Jesus sits down with Peter and He has a meal. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, you know I do. He says, feed my lambs. He does it three times. You want to know why he did it three times? Some people say, well, he used a different Greek word. Well, he did. That's not the point. He did it three times because how many times did Peter deny him? Three times. This is not brain, you know, this is not brain surgery, right? This is pretty straightforward. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to say, Peter, have you owned up to your responsibility and your sin. Have you repented? Peter had. And Jesus says, and then you're forgiven. 
See, there is forgiveness at the cross and because of the cross. And it's amazing that Jesus would give his life for somebody like me, somebody like you, who denies him almost daily. If we dig down deeper, that's kind of what we're talking about. I want to close with this idea. How do you think we got this story about Peter's denial? Who is there? Did he have like one of these, these wilderness shows, a cameraman? Well, it wouldn't be a cameraman, but somebody keeping track, writing a record down, following, you know, quote, Pete, what, what, what was that quote? I got to get that down for the, no. How do you think they got this story? And by the way, this story is in every gospel. That's not true. When you read through the gospels, there's one story it's included in two or three. This one's in all four gospels. Do you know how it got there? Because Peter told this story over and over and over. There probably was not an audience that he stood before and said, I denied Jesus. But then Peter also said, he probably said three times and told the whole story. But and then he would say this. He would say, but you know what? Here's what happened. He forgave me. He forgave me. He forgave me. Here's the good news. If you turn from your sin of denial and you receive Jesus, he will receive you. He will forgive you. That's the good news of the gospel. Don't do a Peter. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, follow him. And care more about what he thinks than the people around you. If you do that, he will be pleased. He said, he who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. So let's do that. With our words, with our actions, let's not deny Him. Stand with me and let me pray with you. Our Father, this is easy to understand. It's hard to implement. We need Your help. We need Your Holy Spirit. We need courage, Father, to speak out when you urge us to speak out. We need to stop what we're doing that is messing up our testimony. We are doing things in our life that are just causing a tremendous disconnect with our words. And so, Father, if there are things going on in our lives that are bringing disrespect and discord about your kingdom... May your spirit point it out, and may we do something about it. <coughs> Thank you, Father, that when we come to you in repentance, we acknowledge that you are right and we are wrong, and we desperately need a Savior, and you're our only hope. And we throw ourselves at the mercy of cross. There is mercy, there is grace, there is forgiveness. So may we allow our words and our actions to be the same, consistent, with integrity. And may we never deny you. 
actively or passively. And may your spirit point it out. And may we deal with it when we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.